Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today and being with me tonight. I don't know what time you listen. Do you podcast? Do you, uh, do you uh, listen live? Do you do it when you're at the gym? Do you do it when you're just crawling into bed? Who knows, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, what we did last week was sensational. And I'm talking about Fall Share. Fall Share was spectacular. And it was a wonderful time to connect with listeners and hear from so many, so many encouraging notes and letters, as well as generous gifts and prayers. I would love to say a special hello uh, to someone who listens to the podcast late at night. Her name is Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Thanks for listening. It's nice to be friends, even though, well, we've never met. It's special to know your nighttime ritual includes listening to Faith Radio Isn't it nice to hear encouraging teaching and God's precious words as you get ready to sleep? I have two verses for you. One comes from Numbers, chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We'll take a short break and be right back. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. And of course, that music belongs to my first guest, my regular guest on Mondays at 3 o'clock, Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm the leadoff hitter for the week. You're the leadoff hitter, and you always get on base. So thank you so much for uh, being so consistent and such a regular friend. I like that. Yes, I'm, I, I I don't hit for the fences. I just, I bunt. I'm a bunter. doesn't matter. You're fast. You move quickly. Oh, what, how, did, how did they come up with that name? What do we call this, this little hit? Bunt. Bunt. That's just cute. <laughs> get a bunt. <laughs> just, just get out bunt there and bunt. It. Yeah, I like just that. Get out there and bunt. Do you watch any uh, any any football? Um, I did. Yes. I did, and I'm still mad. But anyway, that's oh goodness gracious, your team, my team. Yes. What was he thinking, Kirk? Kirk Cousins, you had first and goal on the eleven, and you threw an interception. Yeah, it's uh, I well, him. you know, it's um, I was uh, pretty impressed with the Dolphins' defense uh, finding a way. I don't know how they they dug so deep, but they they found the resolve to hold that high-powered Patriots offense to only 43 points. So I thought that was... Yes. Wow. They, they were looking good. They were looking good. And 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 poor Drew Brees, you know, the, the stuff he took last week, he makes a 20-second video for Focus on the Family, encouraging kids to bring their Bible on Bring Your Bible to School Day. And he has been villainized beyond belief, and then he goes and breaks his part of his thumb. He's got surgery I scheduled tomorrow now for six weeks. The whole thing is sad. Yeah. Well, and, and you know that there are going to be people that are, are going to be celebrating that because they'll say, well, that'll teach you. And I think, you know, I don't know if a guy like a Drew Brees, who seems like a very sharp character, knew that he would get a little bit of blowback just for recommending to bring your Bible, to bring oh, your sure. Bible, to, you know, to, to school day. I would imagine that even if he knew, he strikes me as the kind of guy that would have done it anyway, because I think he's very strong in his faith. I think he's the type of guy that says, well, okay, there's going to be the blowback and there's going to be people that don't like it. But uh, whatever his thought process was, he's like, you bet I'll do it. You really, it's amazing the things you have to think about doing these days. 
so I really applaud the ones like a Drew Brees that's that step out and say, well, I'm going to do it anyway because it is the right thing. And uh, and this is, you know, uh, what a believer will do. Mm-hmm. So um, more power to a guy like that. Yeah, it's poised to see he and Brady are kind of on this collision course for breaking a lot of the same records. And they're both so fun to watch. They are fun. And I always think of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Uh, so way to go, Drew Brees. You know, you're not ashamed of the gospel, nor am I, nor are you. Well, you know, we've had, um, as you know, uh, my brother-in-law passed away. We had the uh, the funeral last week, um, and in the very same chapel yesterday, so a uh, Six days later, in the very same chapel, we had a baptism of of my niece, who's a couple months old at this point in time. And it, it's really unusual, you know, bookending a week like that with uh, uh, at the same place and uh, all all the same family members celebrating the ending of one life and the beginning of another life, but both rooted in the same core uh, principles of God. And uh, I, it's I I don't know if I could have planned a better way to come out of the mire of, you know, going through the death of somebody at a young age than to be reminded of being born again uh, Mm. just a few years later in the very same room with a lot of the very same people. So, you know, it's it's good to be reminded of those things. You don't like that uh, sometimes in life it comes at a very hefty price. It does. And I'm sorry about, uh, again, your brother-in-law, uh, dying, and he was a young man, 40 years old, wasn't he? 40 years old, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My condolences cool. to your family. Thank you. Yeah. So mm. you have become um, a little bit of a gardener in your life, haven't you? I have. Uh, I, I, it's, uh, in my, I have one of those uh, brains that occasionally works. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of got nonstop chatter in it. I, I have a thing, um, a friend of mine and I, we call builder's brain that it, whenever you're working on a project, like I've been doing some home improvement projects recently and I can lay down in bed. And, uh, if I just have to paint a door, my brain will paint that door 172 times before I wake up in the morning and say, just get the brush and get it over with <laughs> Get the brain to stop saying, remember to paint the edge. Don't forget to mask that thing. Take the hinges off. That's always good. Why you got them off cleaning with some brass? So, because those are high quality hinges, you know, it's just, and I made a Exhausting. discovery, yeah, about 10 years ago, and I, I don't even know why this happens, but when I get out and start digging in the dirt, it all goes quiet. And so uh, it has sort of become my place when I, when I can't get the anxiety of the, the incessant chattering about whatever's going on in life to stop. I go out, I plant some seeds, I pull some weeds, I cut the grass. I don't know why it does that. And, and it, it might be something to do with working with your hands. Although I did find that last week it also, when you actually pick up the paintbrush, mm-hmm. it shuts off in two. So maybe that's why they, they there's that saying, you know, grandma's, one of grandma's favorite, favorite sayings uh, about, uh, you know, de- um, an idle mind is the uh, devil's Works playground. Out. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, you know, my grandmother would talk about idle hands, too. And I realize now maybe that was what her reference was. You know, if, you're, if your brain is doing that thing, get busy. Yeah. Busy. Do yeah. something. I'm always fascinated when I go back and start reading a piece of the Bible that I haven't looked at in, you know, 
two or three months, and I go back and I start reading Genesis again, and I'm in chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. I think, wow, I mean, the creator of the universe, he's also identifying himself as a gardener. He planted Mm -hmm. a garden. Did he just do the I Dream a Genie blink and there was a garden, or did he somehow physically do things? It's fascinating. I'll find out when I get to heaven. I'll go to the information booth and go, what's up with this garden thing? You know, there's a long line at that information oh, booth. Oh, I know. I know. The people there are so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you get, you know, customer service that you want to talk to. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like you get the number and you're going, number 1,742,607. <laughs> They're going, you got eternity. Don't worry about it. It'll be over before you know it. You'll be, you'll be up there asking your questions. In the meantime, cup of tea? Yeah, it's. Uh, I know there are a, a lot of questions, and you realize that it would take an eternity to get all the answers because it's 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 amazing how you find how you 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 become fascinated with things that of course didn't you didn't care about for years or you know when you were a kid you're like whatever seeds grow that's great, and then now you look at a seed and you say, this is amazing. This is amazing, the, the, the life cycle of, say, a flower. And when you learn how, say, a flower works, that it grows and the, the beautiful flower petals contain in, in most of the flowers, the seeds are, are contained right there. Mm-hmm. And when the flower starts to die after it's been pollinated, the seeds that drop are the seeds, but they won't become good seeds until it's been pollinated. And then you can also trick a plant by saying, if I cut the flower off before it has a chance to drop its seeds, it will grow more flowers because it says, I haven't fulfilled my purpose yet. Mm-hmm. Which, and we're a lot like that. It's like, we have a purpose we need to fulfill. We're we're always looking for it. We think it's something else out there. But I do think God looks at us and says, there there is a bigger purpose. And some of this comes from the baptisms yesterday. It's the, the, the woman that was performing the ceremony, there was a lot of, a lot of babies there. And she would say, okay, congratulations, you're baptized. You have a job. And that is, you know, to go out there and be a light unto the world and spread the word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's, she's saying this to three-month-olds. And uh, I realize that the, the kid is probably not grasping fully what's being asked of him at this point in time. But you go, that's right. That is exact. We have a purpose. And it's sometimes hard to live up to your purpose. But... You, if we talked about, you know, sometimes when you're going, you're feeling down on yourself and then you go and you do something for somebody else and you're uplifted. Exactly. Say, Why does that work? And, and you can almost see God if they're going, aha, see, 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 that you're fulfilling a purpose. Exactly. And when you fulfill your purpose, you have happiness. Yeah. Patrick, let me take a little break, break a and then we'll be right back. Patrick Albanese is my, my guest. He's also my friend and colleague. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Patrick Albanese is my guest. You know him from the great state of Iowa in the prestigious town of West Des Moines. And uh, Patrick, I sent you something over the weekend uh, written by Kent Dunnington, who is a guest I've had on the show many times. And he was talking about uh, the way God has given us this gift that um, most of our behaviors are, are not under our conscious control. Like if we had to concentrate on brushing our teeth or tying our shoes every time we did that, life would be very difficult. And God Mm -hmm. gives us so many beautiful little 
uh, built-in mechanisms for uh, living life um, and doing it easily. However, along with that can come the idea that the brain and its ability can create structures and function, and we can develop really good habits. And if we have good habits, our brain will always want to make a better choice. Um, Now, this Mm -hmm. book is called Addiction and Virtue, and you know we talk about addiction a lot, you and me, and also we talk about it on Real Recovery with George uh, Fraser, but um, we talk about certain sins as being diseases and uh, certainly Mm -hmm. your body can become diseased through sin as it often does but uh, Kent talked about it being oftentimes just a habit you've wired yourself yes to to yes I could easily see that that being the case because even though uh, you know, I've done work with uh, alcoholics, and they will refer to, say, alcoholism as a disease. What's really fascinating is as part of the cure uh, for them, part of the therapy, is to replace the habit. Yes. Saying, well, here's what you need to do. That You know, when you normally do that, you got to put something new there. It's, it's the old nature abhors a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, trying to use that on my mother when she asked me to clean my room. I'd say, but, but nature abhors a vacuum, mother. <laughs> the dust rag. Uh, and I didn't really ever call her mother. But, um, but, but it's, it's, they're, they're, they realize that if you don't replace the old habit with a new habit, then the old habit has a better chance of coming back and reestablishing its foothold. And so... Uh, watching various people struggle with addiction and uh, thrive through it, get through it, the ones that, that I've met that have succeeded have replaced the habits. And you know, as a friend of mine would say, you know, uh, you've got to replace your playmates and playgrounds often. Mm-hmm. So it might mean you can't spend time with some of the people that have the same problem that you have, and you can't go to the same places and replace them with different things, alternative choices. Uh, just like eating healthy is a replacement for you know the not healthy eating. So I yeah that I really get that. Yeah, and Paul talks I about think, you know taking yeah. off the old and putting on the new. So it is it is rewiring yourself, which you can do through habit. Habit's actually a really good word. I think habit sometimes gets uh, a bad rap, but I like the word habit. I think God, I, I, I think I, God I, is a big fan of habit. I think He puts the the sun in the sky every morning. I don't think it's on computer. I think he does it himself out of habit. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it, you and I have used the phrase, the non-negotiables in life, which yes. is just a way of saying habits. But when you call them non-negotiables, it, it feels like you're taking a more decisive step in saying, you know, don't, like you had said earlier, you don't think about brushing your teeth. And then, you know, so much of what we do, uh, the brain puts onto autopilot once uh, the neural pathways of the habit are, it's like we know we all know how to walk. We don't think about how to take that step. You know, I I taught my kids a couple of years ago how to ride a two wheeler, and uh, you know, first I had to learn how to do it myself. That was hard, <laughs> you know, in my years. But um, it's you know, like when you say I don't really know what is what is it that I do that uh, makes me successful at riding a two wheeler. I haven't got a clue. I've completely forgotten all the steps, everything that I had to do to learn how to do to be able to do this. I had to recreate it so I could teach it to them. And, of course, 
they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Now they get it. They don't think about it. And I think, you know, God has built this amazing machine to the brain saying, we can take over a lot of the activities. Tell us what you want us to do. And then we'll take over from there. But, you know, you need to, there has to be a lot of repetition for a while for us to understand that this is what you want to have happen. And I think with addiction, when somebody, you know, has 10 or 20 years of drinking, uh, bad drinking habits under their belt, for instance, it makes it that much harder to quit the habit because the brain says, but this is what we always do when these things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the chemical addiction to it. There's a mental thing that says, but this is how we deal with this. Mm-hmm. So if you replace your thoughts that are negative with God's word and God's promises, and maybe you've got them written down, maybe they're on your phone so you can scroll through them and you can start speaking God's promises in place of some disturbing or negative thoughts you're having, even if you're having trouble sleeping at night, where you just fill your mind with God's promises, you are, in a way, developing a habit of being grateful and rehearsing in your heart and in your mind what God has for us. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And it, we were talking about this the other day, but I don't think we were on the air, unless you've been recording me. I, don't I always know. record you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no matter how good you've got it, the, the the list of how you think it could be better never seems to end. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when you we take time out to uh, say our evening prayers with the kids before going to bed and uh, when we're together for meals, we do it. And part of the, the habit that we especially want to give to the kids is gratitude. Mm-hmm. You know, be grateful. A, know where all of this comes from, where all this wonderful good fortune that we have comes from. But it's it's a reminder for us that, you know, you could be going through a particularly rough time and you just say, wow, you know, God, God's taking care of me. I'm here and we've been, you know, taken care of. And a little bit of gratitude uh, goes a long way because it just, uh, there's something that feels good about saying thanks. Oh yeah, should be at the core foundation of, uh, every thought we have, because we uh, get to take our next breath based on uh, God's plan in our life. Well, have you ever noticed how if you pay somebody a compliment, you feel better, you feel Always. lifted up? Yeah. And But it's funny because people are it's reluctant at times to hand out compliments because it's almost like you've given something away that can't be retrieved. You're like, no, 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 no. You give and it comes back. It's right. bigger. Yes. Yeah, it's you are uh, one outstanding, smart, funny guy. See, I said that for me. Oh, thank you very much. I feel much. good right now. Yeah. Now, does this ever happen to you? I got um, all this painting I've been doing around the house. So this is how I think. Yeah. I got. Um, I looked at my my little plastic protective case for my phone, and I got a paint smear on it. And so, of course, my first thought is, well, it looks like it's time to get a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> Can't can't be happy with the current one. It's like, well, there's paint on the case. Well, the case is ten dollars. You can get a new case. Oh no 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 no! no. You got to start over. That, that kind of paint goes deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I, a little tip uh, for your um, listeners that are trying to save a few bucks uh, the next time you fly: if you book your children as emotional support animals, you can save big money. <laughs> Well, some some guy was going to get fired, so he brought an emotional support clown to his firing. Guy dressed up in total clown makeup, clown outfits, all that. Now, two things. First, uh, fantastic idea. Second, 
I got a pretty good idea why they fired him. (laughs) 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 I don't think this is the type of, this isn't a one-off idea of Mm. this guy. I got a feeling. Yeah, a lot of his ideas. What do you say we do for the improve the employee lunchroom? I recommend a clown. <laughs> I recommend balloon animals. So yeah. let me see if I get your your first premise correct. You, you you dress your kids up as animals and then sneak them out of the plane. I don't know. I think you you just you book them that way. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. You just book them that way. Okay. I I, I kid because I was when I was helping book flights for all the family that was coming in recently. Uh, you know, just we had a wonderful woman at one of the airlines helping and. Uh, she was just trying to find us the best savings. And I said, would it help if these two children were booked as service animals? <laughs> and she laughed so loud and so long. And I thought, you've never heard that before, yeah. which you would think that people would. So uh, it it just it tickled me that uh, it was a, a brief. She spent an hour and 15 minutes helping me book a flight. Very cute. For one person and yeah. two kids. There was a woman on, a, I think, a Southwest flight that brought a, a emotional support a miniature pony. I saw that. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. Now, I've actually, uh, I recently gave my dog the uh, tests to become a, 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 an emotional support animal. And he said, yeah, I'm not sure I can do this. Says <laughs> here I have to obey basic commands. <laughs> I just, that ain't going to happen. I'm not the dog for the job. Yeah, well, at least your dog's honest. <laughs> my dog said, he said, actually, you give me anxiety. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, thanks so much for being on the show. Look forward to our visit next week. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Yep. My friend and colleague, Patrick Albanese from prestigious West Des Moines. We'll take a little break and be back with Eric Davis. Back to the show. I'm delighted to be uh, inviting back to the program Eric Davis. He's pastor from uh, Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And he was, uh, last time he was on, he was a gigantic hit with our listeners, especially between the ages of 52 and 52 and a half. It was an overwhelming response. So I thought, we got to get him back on. Eric, welcome back. Thank you. It's a privilege to be on the show, Bill. I appreciate it. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be a, uh, just to be a big hit? And listeners loved you when you were on first time. Uh, well, God is gracious. No, I know. I know. And I tease a little bit because I think uh, we can't take ourselves too seriously in life, can we? Absolutely. We get into trouble when we do that. I know. That's one of the things I learned from you. So thanks for reminding me once again. Oh, well, I'm learning from you, Bill. You're, you're, you're <laughs> the uh, expert in that category, as we all know. I appreciate that. So when I think about prayer and I think about um, how we evaluate prayer as Christians, I sometimes think people... Evaluate prayer based on how much of their prayers are being answered the way they'd like. Right. How's your prayer life? Well, I got to say, I'm getting some of my prayers answered the way I like. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like every once in a while I have these little sort of prayer reformations in my life where I, my, my prayer life, my spiritual life, uh, I can plateau, I can feel stale, I can feel dry at times. And Luke 11 is one of those passages that Every time I go to it, you know, when I'm in one of those, uh, unfortunately, all too common seasons, um, it it sort of breathes new life uh, into 
really my not only my walk with God, but but my prayer life, which really for me is 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 critical. I mean, I, I live and and die by by prayer, and I love the passage because there's a couple things Jesus does. He you know, we can over, uh, if, if you, if people have struggled like me, I can overcomplicate prayer. I have to say this exact thing. I have to do it this way. It has to be at this particular time. And there is something to be said for a time that's set aside, just like if we're meeting with someone, but he, he, he kind of simplifies it and, and shoes a lot of those surface things away. And for, and, and he, he frames it in terms of a time of, of communion with our father. And, and I love how he begins the prayer with that term, Father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 the, Christian, the, the, the Christian sort of culture thing was, was very new to me. I grew up in the far, far west coast and a completely atheistic uh, neo-pagan culture. So I, I had no sort of cult, cultural Christian baggage when I came to the faith. And this idea that not only is God the, the creator of the universe who made everything, we can know him as Father, and he is eager to listen to us and to hear us and to commune with us. When I first came to Christ, that was, that was a, a, a profound thing to me. I pray that that, that would never get old yeah. to me. Now, Eric, I'm, I'm already fascinated by the idea that you came from the far West Coast and didn't have any yes, cultural Christian baggage, and now you're a pastor. So I, I got to figure out, I got to hear that journey. Yeah, so I leave out I no details. In, uh, right, of course, <laughs> we'll keep it uh, PG rated for your uh, wonderful listeners. Of here. course, um, you know, just I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. You know, I grew up in Western Oregon in a in a town that's known as the Amsterdam of America, and rightly oh, wow. so. Um, and so, you know, illicit drug use and this kind of thing was a very normal thing to me. I didn't know anything else growing up, and then uh, I, I I moved. For me, it was moving east to Wyoming. You know, most people consider it moving west. I moved out east to Wyoming uh, to take a break after I graduated from college just to sort of sow my wild oats even more than I was and to drag my leash even more than I was. And I had been indoctrinated with uh, the idea of Darwinian gradualism and evolution. I loved learning that uh, I was an animal and had no purpose in life, that there was purely a materialistic explanation behind uh, why I was here, that really fit my moral compass well. And uh, I came to Wyoming, and what, what I intended for evil, God intended for good. And uh, long story short, I met, uh, who's now my wife, and the Lord was, she, she's actually from the area there, from the city, Twin Cities. She, the Lord was drawing her. She came to faith in Christ first and started challenging me along the lines of my materialistic Darwinian worldview. And uh, I just began reading the Bible, and uh, God was so gracious, He opened my eyes and drew me to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. <laughs> I never get tired of these stories, Eric. Yeah, God is gracious. He was seeking after me, though I was running the opposite direction, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, so let's get back to Luke 11, where the prayer starts with Father. You understand yeah. Him now to be your Heavenly Father. And then continue what you learned about uh, prayer from the Jesus Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke eleven. Well, that that that's really the the entry point to prayer, and we never get past that. Is that Father? And and I understand that you know some of my own congregation and some of the listeners here, we've had a lesson in positive experience perhaps with our earthly fathers, but 
God does not want us to force that upon who he is as father. He's a father of the fatherless. Uh, he, he, he is so loving, so tender. He's the perfect father. And so when we, when we think about prayer, for me, what has been so helpful is to remember he is a perfect father. And what do we think about when we think of a perfect father? We think of compassion. We think of providing. We think of leading. We think of loving. We think of guiding. We think of discipline as well and always out of love and mercy and grace. Uh, and, and so when, when, when we enter into prayer, instead of thinking of prayer as this sort of stoic transaction between me and like a cosmic vending machine in the clouds, this sort of thing that I do to check off this duty, I can feel good about myself, my spiritual discipline. And it is something that, you know, we should be disciplined to do, but we do it because we are having communion with the perfect father who is God of the universe. J.I. Packer in his excellent book, Knowing God, he says the Christian name for God is father. <laughs> and, and that really just, uh, I mean, for me, that's, that, that settles me, that relaxes me as I'm stressed and pulled in so many directions, like so many of us, that I am sitting down with a father who wants to listen to me and he's operating the molecules and the galaxies and listening to millions of other people. But at the same time, the Bible says places like Psalm 139, he is fully present, fully attentive. And not only that, because he is father, he is fully compassionate and tender, and he's not sort of scowling like, oh, my goodness, Eric, you're asking for that again. You're struggling with that again. You're bringing that to me again. That's never that, – that is in no way the picture that we get from Holy Scripture of God as our Father. So I, I think that that can motivate us to prayer and sort of shoo away maybe some, uh, some, some false ideas we get uh, about prayer and, and really – making it more than just a spiritual discipline, but a privilege to sit with my father who was always eager to listen. Eric, that's beautiful. And I love it. And how would you help someone unlearn some of the negative things they have about God, the father based on their own father? Yeah, that's uh, too many of us have, you know, have felt that sort of scarring of a Genesis three world. We, we have to have our minds renewed um, and God's word is sufficient. We believe, uh, we understand that Christians believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which is to say we not only believe the, that, that the Bible is the, the word of God, but it, and when we practice it, it, ha- it has power in our lives. So what I, what I would encourage others, as I encourage myself, is to go to some of these critical passages that, that talk about God as Father. I think of Psalm 103. Uh, is a critical passage that I, I like to go to. I like to take people to um, as a father has compassion on his children. And maybe you didn't experience that, but let us renew our minds of Scripture so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm, uh, Psalm um, you know, 116, uh, verse 1 and 2 talk about the nearness of God listening to us. Um, you know, First uh, John 3, talk about, see what great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Um, and John there, really, his language in the Greek is exclamatory. Look at this great love that God, notwithstanding what's happened to us with our biological fathers, that God has showered his love on us, and he has adopted us. I also like uh, Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, again, in this mind renewal. This is what it has to be, a soul renewal, mind renewal, heart renewal, by the power of the Scripture alone. 
uh, talks about how God loved us before he even created us. God sought to adopt us before he made us, even before he made the world. What kind of a planning and a love is that, that before God started to, you know, break out the proverbial hammers and nails to the universe, he thought about us, that I want to adopt you. Mm. And that might, not, that might not parallel your biological father experience, but I'll, but I'll tell you what, that, that, that transcends all negative experiences we've had for fathers. I also like to go to Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, 5, again, a father of the fatherless, a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. I mentioned Psalm 103. Um, and John 3, 16, let that never get old to us. Some of us have known that from our earliest memories. For God so loved the world, so that's a God, but then he frames it in a father language that he gave, what? His only begotten son. So that tells us what kind of a father he is. He's a giving father. You might not have had, and we might not have had a giving father. This father is a generous giving father. He gives his greatest child, his greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. And I want to encourage some of us who have struggled with uh, our experiences with our earthly fathers, because this is a father, if we notice from John 3:16 again, let that never get old to us, that verse that he isn't saying, okay, he's not sort of furrowed brow and in heaven tapping his foot. Let's see if you can be good enough for me. Uh, let's see if you can prove yourself to me. That's some of the experiences that many of us have had with our earthly fathers, and, and that can damage. That can damage a, a, a guy or a gal. He says, let me show you grace and mercy. I already gave, despite your imperfections, that I gave my greatest son, that you just believe. You just put childlike faith. You just trust in him and put your confidence in him. You are my child forever. And as the great crescendo in Romans eight thirty-eight to 39 says, nothing can separate us from that love of God. Look, God the Father is never going to be known as a father who disowns any children, who sort of unadopts. He's not going to go back to the uh, adoption agency, as it were, and say, well, you know, this son of mine, this tutter, they're not quite performing up to the way that they should. So, you know, you can take them back. That will never happen. That will never happen with one of God's children because, because why? What was the price of adoption that was paid? The Lord Jesus Christ. God, God accomplished our adoption. God paid for our adoption. So we're not going to be able to get some refund here by anything we do. And that is, to me, Bill, that is so motivating. So encouraging, not only to those who have struggled tragically with less than ideal experiences with biological fathers, but it helps my prayer life. As uh, I find it something we can all struggle with at times, it motivates me to go before my father and just to be able to be super honest, transparent. He knows, and not only does he know, he loves. I love uh, nice, long, coherent thoughts, and you just gave us one. I love it. But I'm going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. Uh, Pastor Eric Davis from Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We'll be right back. show. I'm Eric Davis on the studio line. He is from Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, We're talking about the privilege of prayer. And that's uh, really based out of Luke chapter 11. 
And I just want to go back there one more time, if I can, Eric, and look at Luke 11. And when I see how it starts with, um, you know, Father, hallowed be your name. And Jesus is giving us this as a model for prayer, or is it a prayer you like to say in its entirety, word for word? Great question. Or both. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think from my study of the passage, uh, both Luke 11 and the parallel from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, I, I believe it's sort of both. Okay. Um, I want to qualify that, though. Uh, I don't think he is giving us a rote formula in the sense of you must say these exact words, you know, uh, or, or sorry, blocked field goal. You know, your prayer is <laughs> going to hit the uprights of heaven. Right. And uh, doesn't count, you know what I mean? Um, I, I don't, I don't see that. Jesus is is giving us a, sort of a, a launch pad. You, you you can pray those things certainly, and I think those you can say the exact words. I should say, and those are great things to say because they're they're packed full of meaning. I think what Jesus is is giving us here is not so much words to recite, but an idea or a general format to follow. Um, it's, a, it's sort of like a, it, it, we, I think we can think of it as training wheels, a guide to prayer, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a format to launch us to greater prayers. You know, Father, uh, the, identifying with the compassion and the mercy of God, and then hallowed be your name is sort of just a, a fancy English word for uh, God. I want your name to be holy and known as holy. You know, and then he goes down the list, may your kingdom come. This is a format that we see in a lot of the Old Testament prayers. Now, what's interesting, if we get too caught up and, you know, well, I need to recite this verbatim or it doesn't count. Interestingly, in the rest of the New Testament, epistles and the Gospels and such, we don't see anybody praying this exact prayer. Though there are many prayers throughout uh, the New Testament, and almost all the epistle Paul, epistles Paul has prayers. In the book of Acts, we have several prayers. Acts 4, the church praying together, Acts 5 as well. Never do they recite these exact words. That's not to say that they're throwing Jesus' teaching by the wayside, uh, quite the contrary. Again, it's a launch pad, or I think a, a training wheels to guide us into praying these sort of concepts as we have fellowship with our Father. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes like to say, I would love to quote a piece of Scripture that I have memorized. Would you mind? People go, yeah. Then you just hit them with, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom Absolutely. come, and they start to go. Wait a minute, I know that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's nice to point them right to scripture to go. That's right out of God's word, and I'm a big fan of memorizing anything in God's word. I'm right there with you. Psalm one nineteen eleven says, "Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you." So that that treasuring up God's word in our heart, as you know, just really has a, a wonderful sanctifying effect. So I struggle uh, sometimes to my shame, Bill. I, I, I don't want to pray. I, I'm thinking oh, I have too much to do, and you know I don't always see like this tangible product. When I'm done praying, as if I go out and do a project in the yard or, you know, build something, I can see, oh, I did something. It kind of gives me this instant gratification. So I, I struggle at various, various times uh, with my prayer life, unfortunately. I, th- I think, Eric, if I try to do plea bargaining with God, praying is a little bit more tiresome. But if I just go yeah. and worship him in prayer exactly. and trusting him for the well, outcome, then it's a lot easier. Excellent point. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great advice. Oh, I'm going to steal that from my congregation oh, please if you do. don't mind, Bill. No, please do. <laughs> And then when I think about Paul, when you just mentioned Paul, you know, at the end of his life, he said, you know, I'm the chief of all sinners. Now, I don't know if there's hyperbole being used in Scripture. I don't know if you would say, what was Paul trying to say, that he is the worst of all sinners? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and certainly there is hyperbole used 
because scripture is a human book as well as a divine book, meaning God used, you know, human instruments, uh, human authors um, when he inspired his word. But it seems to me in Paul's mind that he really is, you know, I, I, I don't think that necessarily if, you know, if, if you had this list of humanity, however many billions of people have ever existed, that Paul would necessarily say, well, I'm, I'm top there on how many sins and the gravity of the sins and all that. I'm not sure if that's his point there so much as, as, as he just, he was, he got, he was so close to God. He loved the Lord Jesus so much. He was so enamored by the grace of God himself being the apostle of grace. That is, he grew older. He grew closer to Christ, more like Christ, more in love with Christ, older in his, in his walk. I think as he looked back on the things that he did, the attitudes that he had, the thoughts that, that he thought, we know from places like Acts 7, where, you know, he is approving of the, uh, of the martyring of Stephen and, you know, throwing Christians in jail, murdering Christians. I think he just had such a grief and such an understanding of his own sin. And even, even daily, just his own thoughts sometimes he struggled with. And I think he's just sort of exclamatory. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the biggest sinner I know. Mm-hmm. Like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if we can shift gears a little bit, I love your, um, your, your thoughts on prayer, and thank you for that. I'm also wanting to get some um, counsel from you on helping each other navigate through conflict. And I know you've done a series oh, yeah. on Philemon, which is uh, you packed a lot, of, um, a lot of punch out of that, that book. So I'd love for you to give us a little bit of counsel on that. Well... Philemon is is an excellent book. I, I uh, finished preaching by God's grace the Gospel of Matthew. It took about six and a half years, and I wanted to give the congregation a little break and do something where we could see the the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, the, the Philemon is a fascinating book. I personally have underestimated the power and the and the helpfulness of it, especially in conflict, because I just am less familiar with it. I, I was, but we. The book of Philemon is, is really about there's, there's a, a, a significant conflict, a significant potential for resentment, fractured relationship, bitterness, uh, where you have, you have the Apostle Paul who's in jail in Rome. It's a brief context here. Uh, Philemon had been saved and came to Christ under Paul's ministry. He had a slave, which is very common in, in first century Roman Empire. Slavery then a little bit different than as we think of the transatlantic slavery. And Onesimus was not yet a believer, and yet he was a, he was a slave under Philemon. He flees, and, and runaway slaves were considered criminals in the Roman Empire, steals probably a bunch of money from Philemon, runs about a thousand miles away from where Philemon lived in Kase, goes to Rome to just to get lost in the biggest city in the empire, by God's grace, runs into the Apostle Paul, where it's like, hey, you're Onesimus. I know you're, I know Philemon. Oh my goodness. You know, Philemon. Onesimus comes to faith in Christ and starts to minister with and alongside Paul. And so you have this situation where Philemon has had crimes committed against him. Onesimus is a criminal. You have, there was a church in Philemon's house. They knew about the situation and with Philemon's family, Paul wants Paul is getting blessed by Onesimus' ministry to him, but he realizes I have to send him back because that's what's right to reconcile. So a lot of potential fear, not only you can imagine from Onesimus, 
and not wanting to go, I don't know if I want to go back. That was such a hard situation. And in Philemon also, you know, that guy wronged me. I mean, that, that, that felt. And so Paul has a situation where he is skillfully navigating this relational hazard. And there are some wonderful principles we can pull out of there um, uh, from, from Paul's just skillful mm-hmm. uh, uh, navigating through these, these, these hazards. And, and, and very, some, some principles that were very helpful to me, very basic things like Paul doesn't dance around the issue. He speaks directly to Philemon. You know, he doesn't sort of have this, has, have this passive-aggressive. He speaks very gently to him. He speaks very truthfully to him, very lovingly to him. They speak directly. That's so important. I know sometimes in conflict, as I, as I do some counseling, people don't always do that. Maybe they'll, you know, a Facebook message or a text or through the grapevine. And that, a hundred times out of a hundred, that does not help resolve conflict. Um, he also, uh, Paul, he, he appeals with humble love to Philemon to resolve the conflict instead of asserting his rights. You know, he says, hey, I, I have enough confidence in Christ in verse 8 or boldness to, I, I could really command you to do what the Bible says, but you know what, I'm going to appeal to you in love. You, I know you want to, to do what's right. You want to, to receive this brother and, and forgive him. And I think that principle from 1 Corinthians 13 of love believes the best. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt instead of making these assumptions these 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 prejudgments and saying you know what yeah that might have happened in the in the past but let's wipe the slate give people uh, an opportunity here let's let's think about the body of christ let's get our eyes off of what i want and my rights and i was wronged yes you were wronged but first corinthians 6 7 says hey in the body of christ let's rather be wronged we have the freedom to do that than allowing these things to fester a lot of forgiveness there a lot of a lot of humility reminding him of the grace of God in his life. Remember what God has done. He also encourages him to uh, embrace God's sovereignty here. Look at God. That's what we need to do in conflict. Look at God. What is God doing? God is always involved in the lives of his children, including conflict. He's always doing something good. Look what God has done. Romans 8.28 is still in our Bible in conflict. Sometimes I like to throw it out, namely that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And that is especially true in conflict. A lot more we could say, but those are some things that really helped me uh, as I studied this book. Yeah, Eric, there's a lot in that book. And thank you for helping us see God's Word more richly the way you have done so today. It's just, I could hang with you. I could hang with you a lot. Thank you. God's Word is sufficient and so helpful for every struggle of life. Thanks so much, Eric. Eric Davis has been my guest, pastor at Cornerstone Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. 